I want us to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 together. This was Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church, which he helped get established. And God love them. They were messed up. I mean, these people were absolutely just jacked. They were rough around the edges. They were clueless in so many ways as to how to live for God's glory. They had division among themselves. People were sleeping around with each other. They were suing each other. They were arguing over various ministries. They were neglecting to meet the needs of the needy. They were fighting over worship. You know, all those things that, thank goodness, we don't have to worry about in modern day church anymore, right? We don't do any of that stuff anymore in the modern day church. This was an isolated incident in Corinth, and we don't deal with that anymore. You're right. I wish. I wish we didn't have those issues to push through. But unfortunately, we do. You know, I've had people tell me before, I don't want to go to church. That place is full of hypocrites. All they do is talk one way, and then they act another way. And I'm not trying to justify hypocritical living by any means, but when people say that to me, I often think, well, where would you prefer to be? Would you rather be in a place full of people who still make mistakes and are doing what they can by the help of the Lord to put the broken pieces of their life back together? Or would you rather be in a place full of perfect people who never trip up or never make any mistakes? I love the Corinthian church because they were struggling, but they were still saints. Listen, this place, each and every one of us here, I think we'll be quick to admit, we're not perfect. We have our mess ups, we have our mistakes, we have our shortcomings, we trip and fall all the time, but we're still saints. Those of us that have been washed and renewed by the blood of Jesus Christ and declared him of our Lord, even though you might be struggling, that doesn't mean you're not still a saint. That's why I love these people. That's why I love this letter. And as Paul gets toward the end of it, which is where we're at tonight, he's fixing to get into an explanation about the validity and the importance of Jesus' resurrection. And there's something in particular in this passage for us to consider together tonight. So starting in chapter 15 and verse 1, God's Word says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, who is Peter, and then to the twelve. Then He appeared to me, more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James and to all the apostles, last of all, as the one untimely born. He appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. I need you to give the person beside you my title for this message tonight. So turn to them and tell them I am what I am. Paul says in verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. I think we're going to have a good time with this message tonight. Paul is just getting into what will be a detailed explanation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and why it is so monumentally important to our faith as believers. And I love the way that he starts it off. If you go back and look in verse 1, he says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. 
So as we get started tonight, can I remind you just for a moment of the gospel and how wonderful it is? It is truly the good news of Jesus Christ that Adam sinned along with Eve in the garden and sin entered into the world and through them corrupted every single one of us that sit here today. We are born into sin. We are separated from God because of that. We broke off the relationship and the bad news is there is nothing we could do to restore it back together. Lost in our sins, condemned to an eternity, separated from God Almighty. We were helpless and hopeless, full of despair, and utterly condemned. But God had a plan from the beginning. Before the foundations of the world, He anticipated that sin would enter in. And as it did so, He already had a plan in place to come on a rescue mission so that our relationship with Him could be restored. So he sent his son Jesus to this earth to live a perfect, sinless life so that he could be the perfect atoning sacrifice on the cross for our sins, willingly shedding his blood, allowing himself to be crucified, laid in the grave for three days, and then by his own power took his life back up and rose victorious over sin, over hell, over the grave, so that whoever would call upon his name could be saved from their sins, have their relationship restored, and live for an eternity in his presence in heaven. That's good news. That was good news back then. It's good news today. And if there's any one of you who sit here tonight that have not bowed and confessed and surrendered your life to Jesus, then I could not encourage you more to do that before this night is over with. You will not be fulfilled. You will not be satisfied apart from Jesus Christ. It is impossible. Paul understood that. And as he's talking to this jacked up church of believers, he says, can I remind y'all of the good stuff? I know you're in some bad stuff. I know you're doing some things that you shouldn't be doing. So can I take a moment and remind you of the gospel? It's always good, even for those of us that have been born again, to be reminded of the gospel. And my prayer as we go into this message tonight is that you've never experienced salvation in Jesus, that tonight we would celebrate with all of heaven for your soul being one. After Paul gives this reminder of the good news of Jesus Christ, he gets a little personal. He recalls his past, but then he considers God's grace towards him, and he says, I am what I am. I believe there are some things for us to learn from that tonight. So to consider what I am means that my past is a part. If I'm going to consider what I am, if you're going to consider what you are, then that does in fact mean that your past is a part. If you go back and look at verse 8, as Paul recalls his past, he says that, Last of all, Jesus appeared to me as one untimely born, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. And it's interesting to me because it's opposite of what we do so often. And that's the fact that Paul doesn't avoid his past. He actually acknowledges his past. And that's so counter to what most of us do. Most of us tend to try to avoid our past, but Paul doesn't avoid it. He chooses to acknowledge it. He says, Jesus appeared to me on the Damascus road that day, and he radically changed my life. He called me to salvation. I accepted his call, and then he moved me into my purpose, which was to be an apostle for the good news that he had brought into my life. But he says, on the flip side of that, here's how I consider myself to be the least of them. 
out of all the apostles that God has chosen, out of all the other men that God has set aside for this specific calling and this specific purpose, I'm the least of them. As a matter of fact, I'm unworthy to be called an apostle. Why? Because I persecuted the church. Because I persecuted the name of Jesus Christ. Paul had a past, and I can assure you it wasn't a pretty one. By no means. He was known all over for his intense persecution and his imprisoning of people who followed Jesus. We even have a record of him in Scripture standing by and giving approval of the stoning to death of a man named Stephen just because all he did was stand and proclaim the gospel. And it enraged the crowd around him. They pick up these gigantic rocks and they begin to pelt him with rocks until he dies. And off to the side was Saul then, his name is Paul later on, giving an approval of what was taking place. Extending his applause. Being an accessory to murder, essentially. Describing himself to his protege, Timothy, at one time, Paul labeled himself as this. I'm a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent. He even gave himself the title of being chief among all sinners because of what he had done. So basically, Paul says, if we're going to have a sinner contest, I am the heavyweight champion of the world. There is no greater sinner, Paul considered himself, to have ever walked the face of this earth other than me. On top of all that, here's what it boils down to. The reality that he hated Jesus. Can you imagine hating Jesus? Maybe you have. Maybe you do. Paul was there. He hated Jesus. His past was so bad that when he gave his life to Jesus, nobody would believe it. You think you're in a bad place? You think you've done some awful things? You think you're beyond the grace and the reach of God's love and grace and mercy? Paul was so awful that after Jesus appeared to him and he bowed and confessed him as Lord and had his life radically changed, people would not believe it. He had to have a buddy by the name of Barnabas carry him around and say, no, for, I'm serious, he, he, the dude's really changed. He's completely new. Jesus has radically changed his life. You don't have to be afraid of him anymore. He's on the good team now. Nobody would believe it. That's how bad he was. You ever wish that you could just leave or take out certain things or moments in your life? I came across an interesting account of an author who wanted to write a biography about a former president. And I won't tell you exactly who the former president was, but... He lined up an interview to meet with the president to discuss the details of what was going to go into the biography. And as they were having their meeting, he brought up what we'll describe as a scandalous situation that took place during his presidency and began to discuss the details of that and the fact that he wanted to include that in the biography. And as he was doing so, the former president told him to leave that out. Don't put that in there. I don't want that to be a part of my story. Have you ever had certain moments? Have you ever had certain things in your life that if someone were to write a biography about your life that you would intentionally tell them, don't put that in. That's a bad point. I'd rather people not know about that particular thing. Watch this. Paul had a perfect opportunity throughout the letters that he wrote to just leave out his past. 
But so often, instead of removing it, he would recall it. Why? I think because the Spirit of God wouldn't let him. And here's the reason why I think that, because listen, listen, you got to see this. Because people can't appreciate the fullness of the transformation if they only see half of the testimony. They can't appreciate the fullness of the transformation if they only see half of the testimony. So if all we ever got to see was the Christ in Paul, we would have never known the change of Saul. Every single one of us as believers have things in our past that we wish we could live out or leave out. I do. I promise you. There are any number of things that I wish that I could go back throughout the course of my life and take a white out and just X that thing out of my life into non-existence because it's shameful, it's embarrassing. I wish I hadn't gone there. I wish I hadn't have done that. I wish I hadn't have said that thing. I wish I hadn't have participated in that activity. Every single one of us have things in our past that we wish could be left out. And for the most part, we try our best to do that. And so we run from it. We try to cover it up. We try to ignore it and act like it didn't happen. We try to leave that out of the story. I don't want people to know that particular part. So when it comes to writing the story of my life, let's just do everybody a favor and let's leave that part out. But listen, in so doing, we're running from covering up and ignoring a part of who we were, watch this, that actually gives validity to the reality of the amazing grace of God. Everybody say, my past is a part. My past is a part. People need to see the fullness of the transformation in your life. Listen, it's not just that I'm alive. It's that I was once dead. It's not just that I'm restored, but that I was once broken. It's not just that I'm forgiven, but that I was once condemned. It's not just that I'm free, that I was once enslaved. It's not just that I'm delivered, but that I was once held captive. It's not just that I'm adopted, but that I was once fatherless. It's not just that I'm hopeful, but that I was once hopeless. My past is a part, and I'm not going to exalt it, but bless God, I'm done excusing it. I had someone tell me when I was getting started as a ministry intern at the church that it would be in my best interest as a pastor to not ever open up about things in my past to the people. To not be very transparent. To avoid revealing those things. And here was his reason for why. Because when people find out about that stuff, you'll lose credibility and you'll lose respect. Let me tell y'all something real personal. That's not me. That will never be me. I don't stand on a platform because I feel like I should be elevated above everybody else around me. The only reason I stand up here on a stage is just so you can have a better look. I will never be that person. I will never cover up my life and act like I've never had a mistake or a bad moment or a failure. Because I learned real quick, here's the reason why. I learned real quick that concealing my past was constraining God's grace. And listen to me, men and women, when you conceal your past, you constrain the grace of God. People need to see the fullness of the transformation. People need to know that there was a bad side. People need to know there was a broken side. People need to know there was a messed up, jacked up. 
screwed up side of you that Jesus redeemed and restored and renewed. Remember, Paul has just reminded them of the gospel. And what's he do right after that? He brings up his past. Your past has a part in proclaiming the good news of the grace and the salvation of Jesus. I am what I am. And my past is a part. But listen, God's grace is my present. In verse 10, after Paul brings up his past, look at what he says after that. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. So yes, Paul mentions, yes, he acknowledges his past as bad as it was. But going on, he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. In other words, you don't just need to know my past. You need to also know that God's grace is my present. And when Paul says, I am what I am, he doesn't do so with a sense of defeat or acceptance like I feel a lot of people do when they consider the whole of their life. Well, I am what I am, I guess. I guess I am a mistake. I guess I am a failure. I guess I am worthless. I guess I am a worrier. I guess I am depressed. I guess I am lonely. I guess I am awkward. That's just who I am, I guess. Paul doesn't say I am what I am in that sense. Paul says I am what I am like a man who knows that he is now defined by the grace of God. Yes, I've done some terrible things. I'm not worthy of Jesus and his salvation. I'm not worthy to be an apostle, but by the grace of God, he has saved me. And he has given me this calling. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 and then verse 14, he says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. As a born-again follower of Jesus, even though we were never worthy of his salvation, even though we were never worthy of receiving his calling upon our lives, his grace covered us. Listen, you have been saved by grace. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Everybody loves to talk about how you've been saved by grace through faith. And it's not your works, but it's the free gift of God. And they always want to stop before they get to verse 10. You're saved by grace so you can be set apart for good works. Which Paul then goes on to say... Your grace for me wasn't in vain. That's exactly why he says that. Go back and look at it again in verse 10. He says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I. But the grace of God that is with me. Paul says, God gave me grace. And because of that, it prompted me to serve him with an unmatched fervor than anybody else around me. Paul's not taking a knock on the rest of the apostles. Paul's not taking a knock on any other disciple. He just says, in my life personally, I was so radically overwhelmed by the grace and the goodness of my God that when it changed my life, it lit a fire underneath me to serve on a level that nobody else was serving at. Paul served, Paul loved, he sacrificed. This man planted churches, he discipled, he evangelized, he witnessed. Why? Because of the grace that he had been given. 
I'm going to say something because it needs to be said. Don't waste your grace. The grace that God has extended to you, don't waste it. Romans 5, verses 15 and 16 says, But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many die through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. The grace that we have undeservedly received should propel us into gospel action. Too many people waste their grace by not getting involved with the mission. They never serve. They never fully commit. They never witness. They never share their testimony. They never make a disciple that makes a disciple that makes a disciple. And they end up wasting their grace. Listen, I am what I am. And by God's grace, I am redeemed. I am restored. I am renewed. I am forgiven, I am freed, I am delivered, I am adopted, I am made new, I am cleansed, I am holy, I am a co-heir with Christ, I am loved, I am accepted, I am made righteous, I am victorious, I am justified and being sanctified to one day become glorified, I am secure, I am confident, I am set apart, and for all those reasons and then some, and through the grace of God that is at work within me, I am compelled to sharing and propelled to showing the world around me what grace can do. Don't waste your grace. If all those things and then some that I just said apply to each and every believer in this room, we should be compelled to share and propelled to show the world around us what this amazing grace can do in their lives as well. Just don't sit around and waste it. Paul says, your grace for me was not in vain. Two choices that God has shown me here recently that really just shape the whole landscape of life. Number one is the choice to follow Jesus or not follow Jesus. The choice to accept him as Lord or to reject him as Lord. And then the follow-up to that. The choice of if I do choose to accept, so what do I do with his name from them onward? I wonder how many people will stand before the king one day and by the goodness of his grace and the washing of his blood, they will enter into his kingdom. But I wonder just how many of them will, as harsh as it sounds, have been a waste of the grace that God gave them because they never chose to take action for his name, because they never decided to get into the mission, because they never decided to serve or evangelize or reach out or plug in or commit wholeheartedly instead of half-heartedly. I'm trying to make the point, don't waste your grace. It's too good. It's too good. 
to be left on the back of the shelf. I love Christmas. Any Christmas junkies in the house tonight? It's getting close. Isn't it crazy? It's like it takes forever to come back around, and then once you get on the downward slope, it's like here instantaneously. I love Christmas. It's fixing to be upon us. And I'm going to be honest, I love Christmas because I love getting presents. Y'all love getting presents? Who in here loves getting presents? Please don't try to act holy to me right now and give me all this. Well, I love getting presents, but let me tell you, I'm a good Christian. I actually love giving presents more than I love receiving them. Don't give me none of that right here. Everybody in here loves to get presents. Things that, if we were honest, people who love us gave us, even though we didn't deserve it, so to speak. Even though we didn't earn it. They just did it out of the goodness and the loving kindness of their heart. Hey, listen. God's grace is my present, my, my present reality, my present now, my present right now, right here in this moment. God's grace is my present. But at the same time, God's grace is my present. It's his gift to me, undeserved, unmerited, unworthy as I am. God's grace is his present to me. God's grace is his present to you as a believer. To a lost soul sitting here tonight who may not even know exactly how or why you ended up in this place, God's grace is your present tonight. It's his free gift for you to take and walk out of here with and be forever changed by it. How many times in Romans 5 that we just read did Paul say the free gift? The free gift. Nothing's better than free. I'm all about free. It might not even be anything I like, but if it's free, hey, we'll take it. It's the free gift that can forever change your life. When God appeared to Moses in the burning bush to call him as leader to liberate his people from Egypt, Moses, in that conversation, he asked God, he says, when I go to the people and I tell them that the God of their fathers has sent me to them, and they ask me, what is his name? What do you want me to tell them? And God's response was, I am who I am. Tell them I am has sent you. Because he is who he is, Tonight, I am what I am. Hey, this is Trey Mitchell, college and young adult pastor. I just wanted to say thank you for listening. It's our prayer that God uses these messages in a way that challenge and encourage you to live for his glory. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus as your Savior, we would love to help you with making that decision. Just reach out to us through our webpage at underwoodbaptist.org. Be sure to check back in with us next week as we again encounter God through His Word here at Life.